We're here this morning in our third week of our Advent series, Discovering the Light of the World. And I just want to take a minute to recap uh, what we've covered so far. Um, We've talked about in our first week that that first light that God spoke back in Genesis and and the hope that that light brought to the world that we see today um, and the relationship with our maker. We talked about the chaos and wilderness that God brought that light from and how that light brought hope for the rest of life. And then last week, Pastor Wayne continued our series when talking about how true hope is not of human origin, but of a godly nature. He talked about how God's answers to all the fears and failures of the people, and for us too, is a child uh, who comes from God and is God. This child would be given as a gift born into the world, not just born to Mary and Joseph, not just to the Jews and Israel, but to all who had hope in him. And we were told that Jesus would be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Powerful, powerful titles for a powerful savior. And this is where we pick up the story today, where the the Messiah that Isaiah mentioned 700 years prior is finally arriving. And we're going to start in John's gospel. John's audience for his gospel is both Jews and Gentiles. And so we see John write his account with many references to the Old Testament. And there's correlations uh, at the beginning of his gospel uh, to the beginning of Genesis that speak strongly of light and hope found in light. Uh, John, the author, is just trying to lay down some dots and help us make those connections. Uh, For the Jews, there would be familiarity with this passage and how the beginning of the Torah sounds. Uh, Maybe the Jewish audience would have been like, oh, wait, I've I've heard about this before. I've heard about light at the beginning. I've heard about God at the beginning. God is bringing hope out of chaos. Oh, yeah, he's doing it again. For the Gentiles who may not know of Genesis, John is quickly just laying down this foundation that God is the creator and the maker of the world. New information, but now moving forward in the rest of John, Jews and Gentiles would be on the same page. So uh, John is laying a foundation for his gospel and that foundation expresses the truth of how God addresses the problem of sin and darkness. At this time, the Jewish people have been waiting, uh, not just for the coming of the Messiah, but also just to hear from God. It's been many, many years, and now they finally do. And it's the story of the God of the universe coming down to earth. And it's a story that rings of truth, of joy, of peace, and hope. Uh, It's the culmination of years and years of God's intervention in the human story a story that was plagued with failure, sin, and darkness. And now into the darkness, God brings light. So let's read John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. 
The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he believed in his, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Pray with me. God, we come before you this morning, Lord, um, eager to hear your word. Lord, to hear how, again, maybe we've heard this for uh, so many times, but it's always good to hear your truth, to hear from your word, uh, how you intervened in this story that was destined for ruin. To, you intervene to save us. And so as we look at the true light, the light of the world, your son, Jesus Christ, and him entering this world, dwelling among us, I pray that you would humble our hearts, that you would stir in us gratitude for, for what you've done. Uh, God, I pray that we would be receptive and that we would come to believe even more to know even more and to take joy, even more joy in, in, in your truth. We give this time to you this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Our theme this morning is that of uh, true light. That's our sermon title. And, and viewing this passage through our theme of discovering the light of the world uh, becomes clear that verse 9 is key to our discovery. Verse 9 says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Uh, from here, I think we have three questions. What is the true light? What does it mean to give light to everyone? And what does it mean that that light is coming into the world? Again, what is the true light? What does it mean to give light to everyone? And what does it mean that that light is coming into the world? With uh, verse 9 serving as our focal point here, uh, let's look to the rest of the passage for our answers. So the first question, what, what is true light? We find this answer in the first eight verses of our passage. Each of these verses uh, describes for us what true light is. So, verse 1. Uh, verse 1 describes a, a divine light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, our divine light, the Word of truth, was there since the beginning, because he is God. And the author John, by binding the Son and, and Father to God, together, uh, is proclaiming the true light's divinity and authority. He's establishing that uh, for the readers for the rest of the narrative. This true light is God. It not only informs the people of who the true light is, but also infers what our response should be as well. John is saying, just as you obey and respect and revere God the Father, whom you recognize as your creator and maker, you should be doing the same for Christ. The word was God. The true light is a divine light. Verse 2 speaks of an eternal light. 
He was in the beginning with God. This verse also speaks to the divinity of Christ and how true hope has been there all along. The eternality of Christ further speaks to his deity and holy personhood. Just a couple weeks ago, we were back in Genesis, and John is saying, guess what? Jesus was there. That creation account, Jesus was there. Even though Jesus will be born unto Mary and Joseph, Christ was there before the beginning as only God could be. Jesus and God are one. The true light is an eternal light. We then come to verse 3, which describes a creative light. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now John is going even further into that creation account and conveying that Jesus was not just a bystander who got to watch during creation. John is saying, just to clear this up, audience, when I say that Jesus was there with God in the beginning, I don't mean that God's creating and speaking things into existence from the tohu vavohu, had a slip there in there once, uh, our Hebrew word from week one. Uh, Jesus uh, is not just a separate entity there uh, who gets a, a front row seat. Uh, no, guess what? Jesus, who was with God, is God and created the world. Everything was created through him. What John is speaking to in this verse is Christ's power. He has the power to create, to bring life out of that which had no life like only God can. We see that John carries this theme of, of light and dark, Christ being the true light, uh, throughout the rest of his gospel. And we see that Jesus does indeed carry that same power that God has, most notably in the account of Lazarus and resurrecting him from the dead in John 11. In this miracle of death to life, Christ displayed that he is God. And so this aspect and nature of Christ is being mentioned and foreshadowed here in chapter 1. Jesus, the true light, created, made, and brings life. Okay, verse 4 talks about a light that gives light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So in Christ is life, real, real life, and that life brings hope to all of humanity. Now, while God uh, sustains the world that we live in, uh, I think this verse alludes to the special relationship between God and man, distinct from the rest of his creation. Uh, as humanity is made in God's image, uh, we are capable and privileged to the opportunity of experiencing the joys of knowing Christ in ways uh, nothing else on earth can. So what we're talking about here is, is hope. In Christ was life, and that life brought hope to humanity's dark situation. Not just any hope, but the only hope that we had. In Christ was the only hope for humanity. It's a hope that could bring life back to, to dead hearts and people with death in their future. God brought about life at the beginning in Genesis, and now God is bringing life again to humanity. And it brought this opportunity of redemption for humanity. The, the humanity that on their own made all things just go terribly wrong, continued to fail and mess up. And it took God's intervention once again. 
So verse, uh, verse 5 continues with a light that pierces darkness. The, verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Just last week in, in Pastor Wayne's sermon, at the beginning of his passage, we saw that life, humanity, had been consumed and taken by sin. It was stained and tainted and fallen and there was no way for humanity on their own to make it right. They were in the dark. They walked in darkness. But now, John is saying that light has entered the story. And so we see the stark contrast between the darkness of what man is and what Christ is. Christ is the light of men. He was the light in the darkness. And here in John's gospel, he is contrasting light and dark and foreshadowing that Jesus wins the battle. He's giving the ending away. Uh, the world is dark. Jesus is, is light. And, and guess what? Jesus wins every single time. The true light not only pierces the darkness, but it cannot fail. It will not lose. It cannot be overcome. John is writing with this confidence because he believes, and although he knows that Christ died, he also believes that Christ rose again and ascended to heaven and that the light remains steadfast. The true light pierces the darkness and cannot be overcome. We then come to verses 6 through 8, wrapping up our detail of what the true light is. And in a way, verses 6 through 8 are telling us that other lights signal the true light. We, of course, are talking about our favorite locust-eating, desert-dwelling, animal-skin-wearing John the Baptist. What a life. I do not envy. Verses 6 through 8 uh, say this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John was sent as this messenger by God to give a heads up to the people about what was coming. John was sent to prepare the hearts to believe, to hear and obey and put their trust in the one who really would save them. Remember, the people of Israel hadn't heard uh, from God in quite some time, so John was being sent to them to stir their hearts up again, to, to be receptive and open to God's message. John, uh, the author, is saying, just to be clear, although this messenger will be saying a lot of truth, a lot of words that come from God, the God that you've been eagerly waiting to hear from, uh, this guy's not your guy. He's delivering a message from me, uh, but don't get confused. Don't settle for just the message. Wait for the true light which will follow. Now, not heeding this warning would, would be odd. Uh, it, it would be like, this is the example that came to mind. You can take it or leave it. <laughs> if you like going to one of those really, really fancy restaurants uh, where there's no menus and you just get seated at your table and the waiter uh, goes on to describe everything on the menu, which is only like three things, and he goes and tells you like, this is where the animals and the food came from and this is how it's prepared and this is what it's gonna taste like and it's gonna be amazing and then you order whatever you want, you say, oh, that sounds so good. And then you get up from your table and you leave and say like, man, I've never heard food described like that before. Thank you so much 
for that amazing experience. <laughs> and then you leave without the food. Uh, it really resonated with me in the week of just like, that's, that's what it would be like if you just listened to John the Baptist and didn't wait for the real thing coming later. Uh, that's what John is saying. He's just saying, Jesus is the true light. John the Bapt Baptist is just a teaser. He's just, uh, he's going to let you know what's going on. Um, and the lesson here is don't settle for the lesser light. For where there is truth, there is light. So John was giving a light into the dark world, um, but it wasn't the real thing. John the Baptist's message is Jesus is the true light. Uh, he's going to change your world. He's going to uh, not only change the world, he's going to change your world. And as of right now, you're not ready for it. And I'm here to get you ready for that. And as Christians today, I think that's kind of our role too, right? To let people know about Christ, not pointing people to ourselves, but pointing people to Christ and, and the effect that he can have on their life. Pointing people to the God who saves, to the God who can change lives and can save theirs. All right, so we've come through uh, the first eight verses. What is the true light? The true light is a divine light, an eternal light, a creative light, a light that gives life, a light that pierces darkness, and it's a light that has its own hype man or hype men and women. The true light is really amazing and a lot to take in, uh, but there's more. And we come to our second question. What does it mean that the true light gives light to, to everyone? I think the answer is in verses 10 through 13. He was in the world, and yet the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Christ's coming was, was long uh, believed by the Jewish people to be about them. In their minds, it meant their freedom from oppression, uh, meant their kingdom being reestablished on the world stage. The benefits and blessings of being God's people were finally about to be cashed in. They were looking forward to it. And they thought this was strictly for them, the Israelites, the uh, descendants of Abraham only. I just want to pause here for a second. It seems obvious now that the Israelites were a bit too concerned with how the Messiah was going to benefit them in a selfish way. And before we go thinking that we're a lot better than the Jewish people, I think we should probably reflect to see if we do the same thing. Do we ever think of Christ coming in a selfish way? Because while the light is for us, it's not about us. Just like the Jewish people were thinking that the light was for them, they were primarily concerned with how Jesus was going to affect their lives for the better. We too can become too caught up in how the light of the world is going to make our lives better. Not for God's glory, but for our own satisfaction. And in doing so, we miss the point of Christ coming altogether. And we rob the gospel of its message. So just a quick little reminder here. Let's make sure not to think of ourselves this Christmas as we dwell, uh, as we should be dwelling on the coming of Christ.
But back to what John was saying in the passage, Jesus had different parameters as to who his kingdom was for, and it was not based on birth or heritage. The true light, which gives light to everyone, is just that. It's for everyone. We see that there are two responses to the true light, belief and unbelief. There are those who accept and those who reject, those who trust in God and those who trust in their own wisdom. This is the classic sin problem that goes all the way back to the garden. Trusting in God or trusting in yourself. Verse 10, uh, verses 10 through 11 foretell the rejection that Christ will face. The disbelieving reactions of people uh, living in darkness, even though they were exposed to the light. We know that what John says is not just true for the people during uh, these Bible times, but true even now. That there are those today who Christ reaches and those, and they still reject him. The world uh, did, did not know him. His own people did not receive him. These two verses speak of how uh, the failure to recognize the creator leads to unbelief. And of all the wrongs, sins that we can make in this world, this is the one that surely leads to death. To not believe is to reject God to reject God is to reject the light and to live in darkness and have a future of eternal darkness. The other side is belief, and that's what verses 12 through 13 speak to. Those who did receive him, those who believed in his name, and these people, and to us today, God has given the right to become his children. Just think about that for a second. God has given the right to those who believe to become his children. Uh, Pastor Wayne, in our prep this week, said it best that this right is a right that surpasses all other rights. Our world, especially our country, the U.S., uh, is very concerned with rights. We're concerned with our rights as American citizens. We're, even globally, especially my generation, is concerned with global rights and everyone being everyone's human rights um, and while those are important um, and have their place even more important than both of those is the right given to us by God if we receive the truth of Christ believe in him obey him and put our trust in him then we have the right to become his children this is I'm still even now wrapping my head around what that means to become his children. As children of men, our inheritance is a sinful nature, and that inheritance leads us to death. But as children of God, we get to live in the light and have life. So what does it mean to be born of God? It means, church, that we look forward to an eternity beyond our years on earth, spent with God the Father in perfect relationship just as he intended. That the sin that we inherited no longer determines our future, and that our own failures will not keep us from being with Christ. What does determine our future are the actions of Christ on the cross, paying the death that we should have, resurrecting and ascending. For those who truly receive Christ and believe him, putting their trust and faith in him solely, we become his. And it's, it's, it's as if we were born of God. And this morning, 
you have not made that decision to believe, to trust and obey him, I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to put your faith in the one who made you, who wants to know you and wants you to know him. The true light gives light to everyone. Some reject it while others believe. Our third question, what does it mean that the true light came into the world? Verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the, the part of the passage that has been stuck on my mind uh, all week. Uh, this wonderful moment described here by John, written by uh, the authors of the gospel and New Testament writers, celebrated by us every year, is the condescension of God to man. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Just pause and contemplate that phrase and what it implies. It really is a joyous thing. This is the heart of Christmas. The reason for the season is that God came down to live with us. God has always been, and so far in the Bible, God has always been above, uh, up there. He's been present, but in some heavenly manner, untouchable and remaining above his creation. And all of that changes. He comes down into the world he, he created, lowering himself to save us. All right, quick question. Anyone here listening to Christmas music? Yeah? Anyone trying to cram it in in like a month because apparently that's all we get to listen to Christmas music? Uh, I am. I'm definitely listening to a lot of Christmas music. Um, I may have started before Thanksgiving. I definitely did. I'm at peace with it. Uh, This act act of Christ condescending is described in a wonderful way through some lyrics uh, to a song that's been on repeat for me all week. It's a song called Arrival, and it goes like the... By the way, I'm not about to sing it. I'm just going to read you the lyrics. Let down, I know. Um, (laughs) It says, Who is God that he would take our frame, the frame of his creation, like the artist inside the paint. Who is God that he would breathe the very air that his breath sustains, like an architect inside the plan? The one who had no start and knows no end became confined in time and tense. The everlasting God, the great I am, and the mercy of a mother's hand. The holy word of God defined by name, like an author climbing inside the pages. These lyrics describe in a small way the amazing, I mean, truly awesome act of God deciding to intervene in a way that should truly humble us because we don't deserve it at all. We don't deserve uh, him, his saving grace and the love that he gives us. And he didn't deserve the fate that he endured dying on the cross. You see, it's important to have this, this proper view of God this Christmas. Um, sometimes I think that the space between us and God is not as, as great as it should be. In order to make sure that we are getting the full picture, we have to make sure that we have the right view of God, which is a, a high view of God. The danger is if we don't think that God is that much higher than us, then we don't think his coming down to earth, his condescension meant that much because he didn't have to come that far. 
don't rob yourself of a great humbling and an incredible gratefulness for what God has done by having a lower view of God than you should. God coming down and dwelling among us is no small thing. It changed the world forever, and it meant sacrificing himself, and yet he chose to do so out of love for us. Verse 14 expands on his coming, saying that he came full of grace and truth. And this speaks to his intentions uh, of why he came to earth, not just uh, during this time, but how he approaches our lives today in grace and truth. As I mentioned at the beginning, the people of the Jewish people have been waiting hundreds of years for Christ to come. And during that time, uh, they've been mulling over prophecies, meditating and uh, dreaming about what this would look like. And they got it down to a pretty structured thought. Uh, even from our passage last week in Isaiah, there's just a lot of battle language and the people thought that Christ would bring them peace through war and conquering their enemies. They thought that this government that was coming would mean the Savior would come to establish their empire. But here in verse 14, John helps us readers have the right perspective as they observe the Savior coming into the world Jesus didn't come with war banners and uh, signaling revenge and death to his enemies. Uh, Jesus didn't come with plans for earthly power to seek earthly treasure. No, Jesus came in grace and in truth. Jesus came to make right what was wrong, and he did so out of love. Another of my favorite artists, I'm telling you, I've been listening to a lot of Christmas music, uh, Josh Gerls writes these lyrics to help us further understand, further understand this act of true light. It says, all of our fears, hopes, and prayers, God has heard and answered us. The light came down, cast away the darkness, and he appeared, the light of God. All the prophets have spoken all he would accomplish when the light of God would dwell with men. And the light of God came to save us to the world that he made. I'm just one of those people that music to me helps me understand further the truths of the gospel. And so just sharing those with you this morning, uh, I couldn't put them in better words. But it helped me understand uh, the feelings that I should be having um, when thinking this Christmas about what Christ did and what he's done for us. You see, Christ came down out of darkness to defeat the enemy, to take the punishment we deserve, and to give us life. So I want to end with this. This week, I want to challenge us to discover the light of the world, or for those of you who have relationships with God, to rediscover the light of the world. Our stance this Christmas should be one of humility. It's a time of not looking inward and becoming even more concerned with our wants and desires, but we should have a humble heart. What is it about Christmas that turns us into consumers and makes us into very, very selfish people? Let's counter that this Christmas with focusing our hearts towards Christ and who he is and what he's done. Let's think of that amazing act of humility that Christ showed us by entering the world that he created. Christ means to intervene in your life today with grace and truth. Christ means to pierce the darkness in your hearts and in the world around you with true light.
and helping us understand and believe in the true light is a proper view of God. The higher we place him, the more space there is between God and us, and therefore we think of this Christmas story, we, we remember just how far God came down, which should humble us greatly. In a time where the only light many think worth seeking is the limelight, we know this couldn't be farther from the truth. There is only one light worth our everything, worth pursuing with our lives, worth our devotion, allegiance, and praise, and that is Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for for your word, for the truth that we receive from your word, God. Thank you for sending your son. As we celebrate during this Christmas time, you coming down, dwelling among us, God, living the perfect life, receiving the punishment that we deserve, God, giving us life. We are so thankful. And I pray, God, that during this Christmas season, our hearts and our minds would remain fixed on you, loving you and loving others, God. We pray that uh, our lives would point to you, that others around us would see the light and the truth that we live by. God, use us, fill us um, with your spirit, God, and may we spread the truth of your kingdom. It's with thankfulness and humility that we pray this in your name. Amen.